Hope you guys had great Thanksgivings. I know that I did. We certainly had a, quite a few people that stopped by our building this week and asked if they could buy turkey from us. Uh, we just had a great meal on Sunday. Uh, thank you all of you who helped put that together, serving, uh, doing uh, cleanup and such. It was just a great day. And now we're on to Christmas, as you can tell. Like, we are just, we are loaded with Christmas. I think what I notice in, in Christmas decoration, it's different than like, if somebody said, hey, let's, let's decorate for the fall. You get a kind of a tepid response with that. But if you say Christmas decorating, are we doing it now? Right now? When? Another day? Okay. You, you got enough glitter? You got tinsel? Because I just bought Hobby Lobby out last year. So if you want me to bring that. People love to Christmas decorate. And so obviously our building's beautiful, and we just appreciate you guys who, who helped do that. Uh, today we are going to finish up our series on the treasure principle. We're going to finish this up by going through uh, four principal keys to help us unlock the treasure principle. And then we're going to turn our attention as we go into the month of December on Advent. Advent is a, a season of arrival as we anticipate the coming of Emmanuel, God with us, the Christ child. And so we're going to celebrate that over the next month. Also kind of looking forward to the future of Christ coming back. And so that's what Advent is about. We're excited to go into that. But today we're going to turn our attention towards the treasure principle. And so just to remind you of what the treasure principle said, uh, it said that uh, you can't take with you, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Ignore that previously. That shouldn't be there. Uh, you can take it with you. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Simply means this, is that everything that we acquire and own on this earth at the end of our life, somebody's going to get it. It's either going to go an inheritance to one of our kids or grandkids. You're going to sell it in an estate auction or garage sale, or somebody's going to put a big dumpster in front of your house, and they're just going to start loading it into the dumpster. Whatever we gain on this earth, we can't keep it with us. We came in naked, we'll go out naked. It's just the principle of life. But all those things that we put into the hand of the Father, things that we sow into God's hand, will be waiting for us when we arrive in eternity with Him. And so that's the treasure, the treasure principle. And, and we kind of talked about six keys. And we talked about the first two last week. The first principle key was that God owns everything, I'm his money manager. This is one key to really unlocking that phrase. You can take it with you, but you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. God owns everything. I'm his money manager. He owns it all. Scripture says everything under the whole heavens is mine. This thought of ownership and being self-made is all an illusion that doesn't consider God's design in you, your good gifts, and God's design in the world. God possesses everything. He owns it all. And we are to consider his heart and his will and his desires when we allocate our treasure, our money, our possessions on this earth. We should consider his glory and honor rather than our own glory and honor. The, the second key was this, is my heart will always go where I put God's money. That is true 100% of the time. 100% of the time, your heart will go to wherever you invest God's money. Whatever you prioritize God's money in, your heart will follow in that direction. If you invest in worldly things, it will make sense that your heart will be nudged towards the things of this world. But if we begin to sow and invest in the things of God and God's work, then our heart will be moved towards him and his desires. And so that was the, the second principle. Now this week we're going to turn to the last four principles in our time together. 
We love scripture here. If you you don't know that we love scripture, we anchor ourselves in the unchanging truth of God's word. And the reason that we do that is because we believe that there's power in the scripture, that the scripture has the ability to change our hearts. I mean, I can look good in my express shirt and I can give you some wisdom, but it lacks the power to change lives like God's word. And so we love it here. And listen, if you ever, if you ever hear me get off track, if I ever teach you something that is not in God's word, then like, fire me. Would you love me, like seriously, love me enough to fire me that I would not go down that road? That I, you would love me enough to watch my heart because I got a big responsibility here and I would love for you to look out after me as well. Now, if you don't like me because I'm a Notre Dame fan, I really don't care. If you don't like me because I'm 37, that's fine. But if I'm not teaching God's word, fire me. We love scripture because it says that the word goes out and it does not come back void. And one of the areas that we believe there are, there's great insight and purpose in scripture is the understanding of the temporalness of this life. The word says that this thing that we call life that we think is the greatest thing ever is but a, a blip. It's temporary. James, who's the brother of Jesus, he writes in his letter that our life is like the morning fog. It's here for a moment and gone. It struck me this morning as I woke up. Maybe you were up here early. Did you notice the morning fog this morning and how beautiful it was? And it's not there anymore, is it? This world is brief. And we should, we should consider the fact that it's temporary in all that we do. It means this, is that for the Christian, there is something much better than this life. That there is something deeper and more meaningful than this life. The word says that right now we see dimly as in a mirror, but with him someday face to face, we'll see perfectly clear. We'll see perfectly clear. And so as a believer, we need to account for the brevity of this life and the grandeur of the life that waits for us after this one. And in our Bibles, it speaks about this over and over. If we would look in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, it's called the faith chapter, by faith. It talks about all our forefathers of our faith, our ancestors, who had faith in the coming of God's Messiah. By faith they lived, and they understood the nature of their time here on earth. Listen to what it says here in Hebrews 11. It says, these all died in faith, talking about our forefathers, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, the coming of the Messiah, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Paul writes to the church of Philippi this in Philippians 3. He reminds them of their temporalness on this earth. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so these scriptures together lead us to this perspective. That's our principal key here, number three in the treasure principle, is that heaven, not home, and that heaven, not earth, is my home. Heaven, not home, not earth, is my home. Okay, good. A few weeks ago in our series called Sight, we talked about heavenly citizenship. And we said that we have responsibilities towards that citizenship that we have in heaven. But as a matter of practicality, how we invest and spend our treasure 
here on earth is to be considered in that citizenship. We should not prioritize investing our treasure into this temporal home. Now, many of you left to go travel to different people's houses for your holiday get-togethers, and, and when you got there with the people that you loved, I hope you had a great time. But I'm going to guess that nowhere in that visit did you begin to think about how you could change that place to suit your personal comforts. Like, you didn't look around and say, I, I need to fix this place so it, it fits me better next time uh, I come around here. Maybe you said, well, I need to see a bigger screen TV here so I can watch the Lions lose every year on Thanksgiving. But outside of that, you didn't, you weren't like, hey, I want to take that wall out. I don't like that wall. I'd rather put floor down here. This floor is not comfortable for me. You didn't think about enhancing your visit there. Why? Well, because you understood your position as visitors. Maybe you think of ways to, to help people who live there and enjoy their house a little bit more, make it better, but you're not thinking about your own personal satisfaction when you're there because you know that you're a visitor. It's not your home. Might it be beneficial for us to consider that understanding in the entirety of this world and its offerings? Should we aim to make this place better? Yes. We are to make this place better. That's part of our citizenship of this world. But we don't need to go on a spending spree to do that. We show this world the fruits of the Spirit that are manifested in us by the Holy Spirit. Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. We make this world a better place by those things. We make it better by those things. Is it wrong to spend money on ourselves? No, it's not. Should we have moderation? Yes, we should. Why? Because you're here for about as, as long as the morning fog is. You should consider the, the brevity of your dwelling place here on earth and how you spend your money and your treasure. I love this quote by a guy named Robert Murray McShane. He's a Scottish pastor. He died when he was 29 years old in 1843. He loved his congregation. He loved the poor in his congregation, he was concerned about the hearts of those who didn't look for ways to show mercy and compassion. He wrote this and read this to his congregation as a warning. And this is what he said. He said, I am concerned for the poor, but more for you. I know not what Christ will say to you in that great day. I fear that there are many hearing me who may, not, may know well that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally, not grudgingly at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than with its money. Oh, my friends, enjoy your money. Make the most of it. Give none away. Enjoy it quickly, for I can tell you this. You will be beggars throughout eternity. These are profound words that serve as a grim reminder that we should consistently and intently check our hearts and motives in the area of our money and our treasure, that we might not invest it, not, not invest what is not ours into a place that is not our home. But rather, this kind of idea speaks towards the fact that we should be living to something much better, something more wise. And that's our fourth treasure principle key and says this, is that I should not live for the dot, but for the line. 
And you may say, well, what's the dot and what's the line? Well, the dot means your life. Your life is a dot. Eternity is the line, and it goes on forever. Your dot has an end. You should consider the line more than you consider the dot. I want to give to you some wisdom from uh, what the Bible says is the wisest man who's ever existed. Not just in the past, but for out time, the wisest man who has ever lived. And his name is King Solomon. And he is the second son of a guy named David with his wife Bathsheba. David, or Solomon is wise beyond his years, but his wisdom is seasoned by the fact that he has his, in his ability, the ability to purchase and own anything that is of value in that world at the time. He is the richest man in the world at that time, and many people think he was the richest man who has ever lived. Scholars estimate that his net worth was around $2.1 trillion when he was around. He had everything that he, his heart could want. He was rich with money. He had more property and possessions than anybody could ever dream of. He had the finest food, the, the biggest and best buildings. He had over a hundred or had a, over a thousand wives and concubines. Everything that we think this world could offer us in pleasure, he had it. And he squandered it time and time again. And through all of that experience of the riches that he's had, all the experience that he had, and all of those things, he gives us this wisdom. Listen to what Solomon says here in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon writes three of our 66 books in our Bibles. He wrote Proverbs, he wrote uh, Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, and he wrote this book called Ecclesiastes. These three books combined with Psalms and Job's to form our wisdom books in our Bible. And this is what King Solomon writes. He says, the money lover isn't satisfied with money. Neither is the lover of wealth satisfied with income. This too is pointless. When good things flow, so does those who, come, who consume them. But what do owners benefit from such goods except to feast their eyes on them? Sweet is the worker's sleep, whether there is a lot or a little to eat. But the excess of the wealthy won't let them sleep. I have seen a sickening tragedy under the sun. People hoard their wealth to their own de detriment. Then that wealth is lost in a bad business venture so that when they have children, they are left with nothing. Just as they came from their mother's womb naked, naked they'll return, ending up just like they started. All their hard work produces nothing, nothing they can take with them. These are great words by Solomon. You know, ever since we were born, everybody seemingly all the time says, go out and be rich. Make as much money as you can, for in it you will find your contentment, your comfort, your satisfaction, your fulfillment, your fulfillment and your happiness. But, but Solomon comes along and says, look, I was one of the richest, most affluent people that you could ever imagine. Money's nice, but it's not everything. He's essentially saying, if you think money makes you happy and fulfilled, you, you've mistaken a lie for a truth. He, he says that money is a necessary fact of life, but it's fleeting. 
Money is to be loved and lost and left. It's not everything. You know, in this world, we, we do a good job of dividing people into the haves and the have-nots, between the one percenters and everybody else. The Bible likes to categorize people in different terms. They look at people as righteous or unrighteous. Spends more time thinking about righteousness than it does about whether you're rich or poor. There are righteous rich and righteous poor in the Bible. There are unrighteous rich and there are unrighteous poor in the Bible. Wouldn't it be better for us to consider that, our righteousness, than anything the dot compels us? That we would be concerned more about the line in our lives because that line is more concerned about your righteousness than your income. That line is more concerned about your faithfulness than your possession. Might it be more important to invest our treasure with those things in mind than anything that the dot would compel to us? The wisest man who's ever lived seems to think it would. You know, as I said the first week in this series, that that the word, the Bible, talks more about money, possessions, and stewardship than it does about prayer, than it does about faith. And why is that? It's because we have a good God who knows the trappings of this world. He knows his creation, and he knows that we're going to stumble with this. He knows that this is going to be a significant battle that's going to plague lots of his people. If we don't check our hearts, if we don't surrender to God's commands and desires, which are infinitely better than ours. And thank goodness for the word because it does give us an antidote to this materialism that plagues us in this culture. Paul writes about it in his letter to his beloved friend Timothy. In Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes this. He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who highly provides us with everything to enjoy, They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Truly life. Giving away what we have as treasure in this world to embrace what is truly life. And a summary of that passage would say this, and it's our fifth key is that giving is the only antidote to materialism. Giving is joyfully surrendering to a greater person or a greater agenda than you. It's dethroning ourselves and exalting him. Now, please note in this passage that the Lord says, enjoy what I've given to you. He's given us good things. We are to enjoy those things, but not in a way that it puts those riches and treasures as the priority of our life for our own contentment and our own comfort, but rather as a means for us to do good works and give generously. He supplies those things to us. That's how we create treasure in heaven, by giving away what God gives to us, whether that be grace and mercy and love, whether that be money or treasure or possession, The life of a believer, the the life of a follower of Christ who has been saved by grace through faith recognizes that we have a greater possession in Christ 
than we could ever have in anything on this earth. We have a greater possession in Christ. We are to live open-handed lives that allows the resources and the good gifts of the Father to trickle through our hands to His will, His heart, and His discernment as He sees fit. We are to live open-handed lives, receiving His blessing and giving it away. Because we know that we are bought and owned by a cosmic God who treasures us and loves us. Christ is ours and we are Christ. There is nothing that this world could ever offer us that is better than that. Nothing that it could offer us. When we take all those good things that God gives us and we close our fist around those things and keep them for ourselves as means to our own end, we most assuredly have forgotten the grandeur of the sacrifice that Christ made for us on the cross. We have forgotten what it meant to be bought with a price. It is if we are breathing and never exhaling. Do you know that the air around you that you breathe in, that you, you don't consume all the oxygen in that air when you take it in? The air around you is made up of 20% oxygen when you breathe it in. Do you know how much oxygen is present when you breathe it out? 15%. We survive on less than 25% of the oxygen that comes into our bodies. 75% of it goes back out. All that we need to thrive and survive in this world is in that 25%. Do you know that over time, if you would use all of the oxygen in the air, all of that 20%, you would develop a myriad of health issues? You can't keep it all for yourself all the time. You have to give it away. You have to give some of that air back. It's the only way we stay healthy. And God's design in breathing echoes God's design in giving. We have to give to live in the center of God's will and good pleasure. We have to, to give in order to stay balanced in our perspective. We must give in order to not lose ourselves. Jesus' profound words that what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? And so listen, I, I know the struggle. This is a battle in this culture. Like there's lots of good things about where we live, but there are some hard things and this pursuit of, of money and material possessions is a battle that we must fight. It's a battle every time you see an advertisement. It's a battle every time you drive by the store. It's a battle every time you see somebody have something that you don't have. But it is a battle that we have to fight. We can't cave here. There are people that need to see Jesus authentically lived out in our lives. So we fight our desire and our pursuit of more riches, and the way that we fight it is by extravagantly giving. By extravagantly giving. Giving not in a way that we just give away some of the crumbs of our abundance, but giving in a way that speaks to the trust that we proclaim in Jesus, our risen Savior, in action. That we would actually trust him, that we would give in a way that actually cost us something of value on this earth. 
and this speaks towards our last principal key, is that God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. The word says, everything that has been given to you is given to you not to be owners or hoarders of, but to be generous with in every way, enriched in every way to give in every way. You get to give. Everything that has been given to you in increase is meant to be given out in increase, whether that's a measure of grace or mercy or forgiveness or love. Anything that the God God of the universe increases in your life, you are to give out out of that abundance. The word doesn't say that we have to give all of it away, just that we would give some back. That if the Lord blesses us, we would give some of it back. That includes our money and possessions. But overwhelmingly in in this day and age, we think that the person that has had an increase is somebody outside of ourselves, that I'm the one that could really use an increase, that I, I just need a little bit more, and that it's those other people that have abundance that have an increase in their life. Well, I just want you to consider this perspective. You know, in the series on Mark, we talked about this guy named the rich young ruler. There was a parable about him. And it says that this rich young man came up to Jesus and said, uh, Jesus, I follow the commandments ever since I was a little boy. What else must I do to gain eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and he said, go sell all of your possessions and give to the poor. And this rich young man left broken. He was heartbroken because he had many things. Now, the point of that story is not to say that we have to do anything to earn salvation. It's about understanding that we have to love the right things. But consider this. Of all the wealth that this rich young man had, he could never drive a car. He could never have surgery. He would have never been able to buy penicillin, mow his yard, wash dishes with running water, go to the bathroom inside the house. He could have never sent an email or typed a letter. He could have never slept on an inner spring mattress nor talked on an iPhone. If that rich young man was rich, then what am I? I think, honestly, if we would look at ourselves, we have way more than we deserve. We all have been given an increase in some ways, more than we need. The question is, is what are we doing with it? Are we thinking about honoring the Lord with it? Or are we thinking about honoring ourselves with it? Sure, we enjoy the good things that, that God gives to us. But even for a moment, are we considering, how do I honor the Lord with this? Are we living open-handed? guided by things like the treasure principle, or our hands tight-fisted around all the things that have come to us in our lives. And so as we end our time together, I think the most practical question in this that somebody might ask me is like, how do I live my life open-handed? How do I, by a matter of principle and example, live a treasure-principled life? Um, 
I think it's easy for us to want a list or an example of things to just, okay, what do I need? Check this. That's what I need to do. But I, we just have a bad history with list, guys. God, God knows our hearts well enough to know that we take lists and rules, and then we just use those things to judge people by them, or we take those lists and we live in shame because we can never attain them. It's the principle of Jesus to attack our hearts rather than to attack our actions. And so my whole thought for you today is, is are you surrendering your finances, your treasure, to the sovereign God of the universe? Are, are you letting him inform where those things go? And so as the band comes out here, I just want you to, to be challenged in a way that maybe God would speak to you today. Maybe you would just talk to him about, God, where am I investing my treasure? And I'll tell you this, and, and this isn't self-serving at all, your local church should be where that starts. We are to give generously to our local communities that try to keep us accountable to Christ. That's what the Word says. That's not what I say in this. I, I, don't, I care about what the Word says. I don't care if you feel bad about me talking about money. I, I'd rather be right with the Word. And then we think about what is it that breaks God's heart? The poor, the orphans, the widows. How do I give treasure there? How do I bless God in those things? And so as we stand here and worship our Savior, would you allow the Spirit just to speak into your life? Would you, would you check your heart in this area and ask him to move you, that he would give you patience to move in this area? And so uh, we're going to head into a time of worship. If you're here and you need prayer over that, we'd love to pray with you. If you even have things that are just hard in your life and you just need, I need some prayer right now. Just know that there are people up here in front. We'd love to pray with you. But let's stand and worship our Savior as we close.